Hello, I'm Asha Tiefel. I'm a somatic therapist, and I am here today with Melinda. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Melinda. Hi, I'm Melinda McLaughlin, and I'm a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and board-certified holistic health practitioner. That's so fancy. Melinda and I are cousins. We've uh, known each other my whole life, um, but we realized recently that we've been kind of working in the same part of uh, health and healing and wellness, kind of different sides of the same uh social problem, I would say. It's different industries, but definitely like really focused on some of the same stuff. Uh, Melinda and I have had some really great conversations uh, in the past several uh, weeks and months as uh, I've been kind of launching my practice and getting into things. And I just really wanted to pick your brain about kind of the, the physical aspects of support and what it feels like, what it really feels like to be connected and in good relationships people around you, with yourself, and inside your own body. Um, I know you are really focused on uh, helping people kind of come into awareness of what's going on inside themselves too. Yes. Um, I love that because so many people that come to me, they may come to me for support in one area of what we think is diet and nutrition, but really a lot of my work is supporting them through the journey um, keeping them accountable, but also teaching them how to actually um, figure out what their body needs. So how to support themselves. And um, a lot of times we're very disconnected from our body. Mm -hmm. And even in the, the fact of, like, I don't really know when I'm physically hungry mm -hmm. because we never get to be physically hungry or there's emotional um, stuff that's all tied up in food. So, um, so I always like to, to really make the body that touch point in, in, you know, not just here's your diet plan and here's your this. And it's, it's about learning to make friends with your body. Yeah. Oh, I love that word you used accountability. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially whenever it comes to support. So i my practice fo focuses a lot on rest. So how do you like rest your body, find out like what you need for rest, how to get those resources, how to get what you need in order to right. feel functional in your life. But a big part of rest is having the support to be able to get into a space like that. And that all comes back to this like kind accountability, this, uh, that awareness that you were talking about of like, what is it, what does it feel like when you're hungry and what is hungry trying to tell you about your experience? Right. And even, even further than that, like what does it feel like when we think we're hungry, but we're really not physically hungry? Mm. Um, we've just gotten into the habit of, well, it's three o'clock and I have a snack. Yeah. So I think I'm hungry. Um, but what is that hunger? Is it an emotional hunger? Mm. Is it, you know, what does your body really need? Um, because being hungry physically is probably the smallest amount of time that we're hungry. Mm. Um, we're really hungry. We're hungry for rest. We're hungry for time in nature. We're hungry for sunlight, mm. uh, connection with others, time by ourselves, you know, to really grow. Um, there are so many things we can be hungry for. And, um, you know, food is just one of them. Oh, that's such a good point. Uh, whenever I was like learning the somatic experience of my consciousness or whatever, it gets really esoteric whenever you start like talking about internalized sensations. But whenever I really started getting to know it, I, I realized that I would, I'm feeling hungry, but I'm hungry for comfort. <laughs> I'm hungry yeah. for like relaxing. Uh, but I, I associate anything, any sensation that happens in my tummy 
as hungry, but then I, I don't know how to support that all the time. Right. And you know, it's comfort is a big one that we are hungry for because, you know, even going back to childhood, so many times we've been taught that food equals comfort Mm. and, you know, Oh, you, you fell down and hurt your knee here. Let's have a cookie. You know, we, you felt, so we soothe ourselves with food and it just becomes a habit that we don't unlearn unless we consciously take those steps to learn it. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, I help other people really learn how to have, find comfort in other things and um, that really soothes the same need, but is not necessarily food because that's just kind of like our habit. Yeah. Um, you know, so really think, well, okay, I need comfort. What do I need comfort for? Mm. You know, do I need connection? Is that really connection with another person? Do I need to be touched? Do I need to just be able to breathe for a second? You know, a lot of things are, are we just kind of throw it into the food category because that's what we've always done. Mm. So really digging down into those emotions, if sometimes we do need rest and comfort is a good nap. Um, you know, so there's so many things that, that you just kind of have to pull apart the, the strings. Yeah. You're uh, reminding me of, um, there's this assessment that I do with everyone that I meet for the first time. Uh, and it's, this is not like groundbreaking or anything, but there's like four things that therapy will never help you with. And that's food, water, rest, and movement. If you're hungry, I can't help you. You need a Snickers or whatever. (laughs) That's the commercial. If you're hungry, you need food. If you're thirsty, if you're dehydrated, there's no amount of coping skills that are going to make you a kinder person. Whenever you're hungry, you need sustenance. Uh, Same with rest and movement. Your joints don't have their own blood supply. You have to move your joints in order for them to get nutrition to be able to move and be functional in your body. Um, So helping people to to kind of like feel into what do I need in order to feel supported in this moment has been uh, so such a hard journey to get through. And there's uh, lots of like criticism and shame around that, Um, especially around food. Uh, You talk about, you know, you hurt yourself, let's get a cookie. Well, there's nothing like morally wrong with a cookie, but that's not how we meet our needs, you know? Right. It's just, um, it's kind of like you just cover it up, you know, Mm -hmm. you kind of put it in the backyard and put it in a bag and under some dirt, but it's going to come back up, you know, it's going to, you know, um, resurface somewhere and, you know, really finding out what we need is something that most of us never look at. We don't ever really know what we need because we just kind of go off what we've seen, what we've heard from someone else or, oh, well, this must be it because my friend, you know, deals with X this way, you know, so um, really by figuring out what we want and need, I think it's also a journey Mm, (laughs) and it kind of, a lot of times it just kind of balls itself up into food or some sort of lifestyle factor, you know, and it it all kind of gets untangled um, as we work through it. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, I work with a lot of people about like codependency and stuff like that. And I know like codependency can show up in every relationship in your life. You can be codependent with a favorite pair of shoes. You can be codependent with whatever, whatever in your life that you're not like, you're not feeling into that relationship. You're just trying to like cover up things. I liked how you, you phrased that, that the, the, whenever you're 
eating food and you don't need it, you're covering up some other need. Um, and it makes me think of the, um, like codependency is one of those like hot button, like people get kind of touchy around it. Um, but I think that codependency really starts to like the healing of it really starts whenever you hear the definition that like speaks to your experience. And the one that did it for me was whenever you are always in a position to help and confuse that with love. So we cover up this need for love and connection with just help. So uh, instead of expressing genuine care for another human being by, you know, finding out what your needs are, we just say, oh, I'm going to help you with the stuff that I can see. And I'm just going to cover over whatever else you might be needing with what I know how to fix. Right. Yeah. It's always, you know, there's always some sort of covering, Mm. no matter what the situation is, you know, whether it's a relationship with food, whether it's, which can also be codependent, Mm -hmm. you know, there are people who are like, I can't live without Diet Coke. I can't live without chocolate, you know, and and that becomes very codependent because you can't separate yourself from that. Um, But again, you know, when when you start working with food or diet or lifestyle, there's a lot of baggage that gets thrown into that that has to be unteased because um, which, you know, in order to find out what really does make you comfortable, mm-hmm. what really does make you feel loved, what really does make you feel safe, because safety is a base, yeah. you know, that base emotion that ultimately we all have to have. And when we feel unsafe, then we make different choices mm. and usually not for our best interest. Yeah. So, um, you know, so we get down to that, that level, you know, everything's here to teach us something. It's just, Sometimes it takes another person to ask the question Mm. in order for us to change a perspective or for a light bulb to come on. Yeah, that's so true. In, in your experience, from your perspective, what does that change? Like whenever somebody is like not, is feeling that I need Diet Coke in order to be okay in my life, what does support from someone else do for them? I think in that situation and well, in most situations, it really comes down to kind of just asking the questions. Um, you know, we, we are our worst critics. We are also not a good helper for ourselves. (laughs) You know, as much as we want to help ourselves, we have the best of intentions, you know, the very best of intentions. But, um, when it comes down to it, we will let ourselves down far more quickly and then we will someone else. Mm. So, um, whether it's, you know, I was going to go for a walk today, but, Oh, I'm kind of tired. So I won't, Mm. you know, we, that's a way we let ourselves down. So a lot of times just having someone that you know is your partner and has the same goal that you do um, and just has some of the tools to ask the right questions to kind of open up that thought process of what else could be a solution. Yeah. You know, it may not be the solution forever, but what could be a solution that would help me feel the same way without damaging my body? Oh, that's such a good point. It's because uh, you're feeling into like, okay, Diet Coke is a solution that you've used. And we feel right. into like, what does it feel like whenever Diet Coke meets that need? And right. can anything else do that? Do you have access to that feeling in any other context? We would like find 50% of that feeling somewhere else. Uh, right. Whenever I worked with like, uh, like I worked in drug rehabs with like people who are addicted to like pretty serious substances, but the addiction right. to a serious substance is not totally different than an addiction to chocolate. 
it's still the same, like, like that habit energy that I have to, I need it. It's the only way that I have to access these internal resources that I have to feel okay in my experience. Right. And really it's a lot of it is coming, comes back to calming our nervous system, Mm. right? Like, what do I need? Because in this moment I'm anxious, I'm tired, I'm, you know, anything out of balance. So what, what habit do I have that basically self-soothes? Um, you know, so sometimes that can be Diet Coke. It can be chocolate. It can be, you know, there are people who even coffee, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it can be anything that we feel addicted to um, that just doesn't serve us. It served us in the past to help us get through that sort of what we perceived as a survival situation. And now it's just a habit that we just kind of need to relearn. Yeah. And as we want something better for ourselves, we've made the choice to do better. Yeah. Um, you talked about coffee being a calming thing, but like the caffeine in coffee literally does agitate your nervous system. But sometimes we yeah. can either like numb ourselves to that experience or try and convince ourselves that that level of agitation is fine. Uh, how do you like in your practice and what you do, how do you help people come to like really feel into what it feels like to be calm? Cause I feel like that's at, at, at a premium these days, that feeling of calmness does not come very often naturally to people. It does not. It does not. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of times, too, in our society, we have been, there is a premium and a bonus placed on busy. Mm. If you are busy, you are more important. If you are busy, then you you must have a lot more going on. You can handle all the things, right? Um, So there's a premium placed on busy, so there's no time for calm because we're too busy being busy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so calm can be, you know, it, it can be different for every person. For some people, it's being able to meditate in the morning and there's just a complete stillness. You know, they're able to, to bring their mind into just focusing on their breath. To others, calm could be zoning out to Netflix or watching a movie. You know, um, I think it's it's something different for everyone. A lot of people think that food calms them, um, and you know it could be, but we just have to kind of rewire those neural pathways to um, to the habit that supports their health best. Yeah. Is how I work, in, you know, in my practice. Yeah, the uh, that association with eating and calming down, I think it has to do with like a parasympathetic nervous system response. So like the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic are kind of the opposites. And this is, I know you know this, I'm just for posterity or whatever. Uh, but that rest and digest parasympathetic yeah. response normally comes after we eat something. So we associate that feeling of resting with having just eaten, but it's, the other side of that, that, uh, the actual feeling of being rested that people often, I I've noticed like in my work, that kind of area has some anxiety around it. So I'll hear people say, Oh yeah, I, um, I got a break from the kids. I took some time for myself and I just cleaned my whole house. Right. Cleaning your whole house is not rest. <laughs> that's exhausting. That that's so much true. energy. <laughs> yeah. That, that's so true. And the funny thing is, is that, um, you know, most people, even though we associate food with calm, most people do not eat, eat in that parasympathetic place mm. because we eat standing up. 
We eat on the run. We eat quickly. We don't chew our food. Um, we work on all these things, you know, around this. Um, but, you know, so we eat in a sympathetic state, which is why we have digestive issues, mm. which is why we have, um, you know, this, this energy that goes up and then plummets. You know, it's because we do everything so quickly because we're busy that we don't give ourselves that chance to rest and digest. And that's what turns, you know, if we can stay, just like you know, you know, we stay in that sympathetic state, then we never have a chance to digest. And then I see that in my practice show up as the inability to, you know, mal- malnourishment. Mm. It shows up in all kinds of GI distress, but it also shows up in brain fog. It shows up in, you know, a lot of anxiety, um, you know, so different ways it just pops its head for us to get, to, for it to get our attention rather. Yeah, that's true. Uh, one area that I can see support, like external support from like a professional or even just friends and family being really important is in that, that stillness after we've decided that we're going to be calm, whenever we've decided, okay, I'm not going to be on guard anymore. We really got to be able to trust our environment to be supportive of that calm. Because if I know that if I'm uh, if I'm trying to meditate, but I know that there's going to be an alarm that goes off in ten minutes, there's a certain part of myself that I can't rest into because I know I'm about to have to do something else again. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just hard. It is, and you know, our environment plays a huge part in our success or failure. So I know for people that I work with, you know, I ask them like, "Is your is your spouse on board with these changes? You know, um, do, you know, do the, the people in your household, right. Do they understand that these are some changes you're going to be making and let them know your why, you know, Mm. why you want to make these changes so they can understand instead of just seeing this black and white movement without explanation. Um, because the more supportive your environment is, just like you said, the better choices you're going to make. Um, whether it be for rest, for food, for activities, for, you know, any yeah. of those things. That's totally true. Uh, I uh, sometimes work with healthcare workers who will work night shifts. And so uh, whenever we talk about rest assessment in the context of somebody who's awake 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., that's their normal shift. We ought to talk about your environment. How does your environment support that? It's more than just blackout curtains. Okay, you've got blackout curtains, but do you ever encounter daylight? Like, do you ever encounter light or energy? Does your family calm down whenever you have to sleep? Like, how are we going to help your environment to support okay, we need more energy now, we'd need less energy at this time, and like timing meals and stuff like that to be able to coincide with when you're going to need that energy boost. Because I know that we always think of like uh, food in terms of calories, but calories in terms of energy and like choosing to feel into how different foods give you energy. That was revolutionary for me. Yes, yes. And I I don't like to, I don't even talk about calories. Mm. Um, in my practice, because, um, you know, A, I believe that um, calories are kind of a misnomer. Mm. A calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie. So, you know, people that count calories can have a terrible diet for supporting their health. Or you can have very nutrient-dense calories, which is what we're, we're looking for, that can really support you. Mm, yeah. um, so, you know, so calories are really... <laughs> They're kind of indifferent 
you know, they they don't really mean anything. So we, you know, I usually I like to focus on how nutrient dense is your food. Do you feel full? Mm. Feel into your body and say, you know what, I'm I'm satisfied. You know, um, does that nutrition that you've just taken in does that give you adequate energy? If not, then how can we adjust it so that it does? You know, especially you were talking about um, folks that work the night shift. A lot of times they have a lot of circadian rhythm, you know, um, imbalance, and that brings digestive issues a lot of times because their meals are not on a schedule like if you worked during the day. Um, a lot of times, like you said, they don't see sunlight much, especially in the middle of the day because that's when they're resting. Mm -hmm. So they can have a lot of um, stress ups and downs, which can then, um, you know, go into symptoms in other parts of the body. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a fear, um, at least among some people that I work with, that if they were going to really commit to living a healthy lifestyle that where they were really accountable to themselves and really committed to meeting their own needs, that it would require this like crazy shift in their life. They have to quit their job. They got to leave their family. Can't have kids. Can't have any of these wonderful things that we build into our lives that really make life really meaningful and like satisfying to live. Uh, I I think sometimes people think that you have to like sit in silence and uh, like your whole life is dedicated to just what you're going to fill your life with. I don't know. Right. And you know, that's why um, folks that I work with, like we, I meet them where they are. Like, let's just, let's, we're going to put it out on the table. Let's just talk about where you are, the changes that you want to make, and then we'll kind of figure out a path to get there. But if we get, you know, two steps down the path, and you're like, oh, this is really not working for me. Okay, let's reassess. Mm. You know, we're going to right the ship. So that's one of the beautiful things about working with somebody is that you don't have to figure out how to right the ship. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just have to kind of say, yep, you know what, I think that works for me. Or no, I don't think, I can't, that's not going to balance with my life. Because it, you, every person, I believe, can find time and if they're truly willing, ready, willing, and able to, they can make changes, any change that they want, because we are powerful beings and our minds are very powerful. When we make a, a decision, then everything should, you know, we want to align it so that we can follow through. And that's where I come in is to help you so that you don't have to figure out how to ride the ship. But at the same time, you also don't have to figure out how to change everything at once. We're going to yeah. do it in steps. We're going to do it so that it's not overwhelming. We're going to do it so that you get the results you want and it works for your life. So there's no cookie cutters. There's no, oh, you have to do this. If you don't work out at the gym for two hours a day, nope, none of that. Yeah. So. Oh, that's so important. Um, whenever I was in my, like, licensure for therapy training I got a lot of training in like behavioral interventions and I personally hate behavioral interventions because it kind of comes at it with this I have the right idea about the perfect behavior that you should do and now you can would are these barriers these things that you're not doing but I don't like that but I don't know I think everybody can kind of be in a place where they say I'd like to be doing things differently than how I'm doing them right now maybe something I would like to change so um I uh, do a lot of similar things to what you're talking about, how we're uh, like the the next step, the path forward. Right. And I think yeah. that sometimes if you're 
if you're sitting on at the beginning of a path and you say, okay, I want to, I need to be at a healthier size. I need, there's something wrong that I need to be healthier about. Uh, right. This journey to health is paved with criticism. There's criticism all the way around it. The, why aren't you doing it the right, perfect way? But there's not a, um, was a, a quote from a mentor that I had, there's no right answer. And I wanted to say that there's no wrong answers that you can, that anything can be the right answer, but that's not it. There's just better and worse. There's not perfect. There's just right. who you are and what your life has offered you in that moment. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it kind of comes down to, again, um, you know, when you have groups of people, even if it's just a family, when one person decides to change, everybody has to change because that brings in a whole new dynamic. Mm -hmm. So we can't all just go along, um, you know, because, and really I feel like when people have a severe reaction to things, you know, or there's shame involved or guilting, that's really needs to turn around and look at themselves Mm -hmm. because that's their own response to what's happening over here. You know, um, either there's something like, Oh, I wish I could do that, but I can't. So I'm kind of a little jealous that she's made this positive change. Um, or there's, you know, just kind of guilt because ah, I tried before and I, I can't do it. And, you know, she's going to be successful. And what does that say about me? And it really doesn't have anything to do with the person making the change. Mm-hmm. Yet they're the ones that receive the criticism. Yeah. So that's why making things very attainable, making, you know, I really, I work with people to understand why do you want to make these changes, right? Like, is it, if, if, if your why is that you want to fit into a certain size, then why do you want to fit into that certain Mm. size? Like, let's drill down. So we really, you're really, really sure because then you can stand in against any criticism or guilt or shame or et cetera. Right. And no, nope. I know exactly why I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, but you know, that resistance comes from other people having to shift in their interactions, um, based on your new choice. Mm-hmm. And that makes, and you know, that makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. I think whenever I was taught about like how to get down into somebody's why there's like five layers, like you ask why five times and it kind of yeah. goes down into, and it goes through some familiar things. Like you get past like your the, the narratives from the people around you and the narratives from your family and the narratives from your childhood. And then there's like something really painful. And then on the other side of that, there's the, Oh, I want to be free in my body. I want to, I want to experience the life that I was born to live or whatever. Um, something like really open on the other side of that. And I think that that openness can be like kind of intimidating sometimes Mm -hmm. because like once you know about it, you're responsible to it. Um, you can't unsee it. Yeah. You can never say that you don't know. again. Yeah. 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 And it's hard for us to get raw. Mm. Um, I usually, I have six whys. The sixth why (laughs) that answer, that is, that's the real thing, you know? Um, but so often we just go through those first couple of layers, Mm -hmm. you know? So we don't ever, because when we hit that third and fourth and fifth level, um, that's so tender Mm. and, and, and just raw, like you said, you know, so sometimes people haven't even gotten there for themselves. Like they just, you know, so, um, yeah, like all those layers of protection around that tenderness. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tender. So you have to, you know, it's such an honor to watch that unfold though. 
um, for someone to have that realization because when they get to that deep root, you know, why, then their success rate of making changes is, I mean, it goes off the charts. Yeah. I really like uh, doing that kind of like why practice pretty early on whenever I'm working with somebody because we can spend as long as you'd like trying to address the upper layers of things. But if I don't know what we're doing here, then I'm going to help you go somewhere you don't want to be. Exactly. <laughs> we end up like yeah. working on someone else's idea for you and then it doesn't work and then you're even worse off and you wonder why that happened. Well, it's because we never really worked on what was actually going on with you. And right. um, one of the things I've noticed is that whenever I get like, cause I, I'm in therapy land, so I'm doing different, have a different focus than what you're working on. Um, right. But it's often very simple things that if I had just said this at the beginning of our time together, it wouldn't have made any sense. Um, like, uh, uh, there's all these different practices for like being in the present moment and, uh, uh, touching into like how you're feeling in a present moment. But if I just say that at the beginning, then all of that defensiveness around that tender spot is still there. But like the whole thing is learning how to care for that tenderness, learning how to like to be supportive of it without locking it down and um, being separated from it. That's so true. That's so true. You know, um, it's kind of like you can't just um, meet somebody and tell them your deepest, darkest secret. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have to, everything's like a, we work a little bit of trust and in that partnership that we're um, involved in, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it be meeting someone at a party or, you know, working with someone to improve, some aspect of ourselves and so you have to have that trust and that confidence that um they're going to hold that why that very tender why in such a um with with such a kindness and a a comfort and a respect yeah oh respect for that tenderness too because like that's that's a very essential part of like what makes a person a person and it's not like you can't affect the tenderness. Like the tenderness is not going to grow right. into a better person or whatever. That's just yeah. that's just your essential self. That's what it feels yeah. like to be alive on this planet. Uh, I was like a, a teacher that I listened to one time who said um, that it's being the person who was born into this body, it's being who you yeah. were born to be today. Uh, right. And there's no um, there's no way to criticize that into being something different. There's just uh-huh. loving it into growth and like prosperity uh which is what you know we do with infants whenever they're born and we then learn to turn that word inward on ourselves and to usher ourselves into healthy happy relationships going forward yes yes i mean you really do um it's that purity Mm. you know it's that that um like a very good example that just that newborn that's just full of potential Mm. and hasn't incurred any trauma or hurts or um, been out of balance, you know, because they're just in that new um, purity. Yeah. And, and, and we, we lose that in ourselves. You know, we listen to what other people say about us. We, um, you know, we beat ourselves up. Mm-hmm. We have experiences that cause us to change the way we think about things. And um, being able to get back to that, to know like really who you are and, love who you are you know um i think a lot of times self-love is thrown around and no one really knows what it means um and it's hard to get to that point 
because yeah. um, there's a whole lot of garbage you have to go through mm-hmm. um, to get down to that little pure essence of who we are and the very perfect creatures that we were created as. Yeah, that's so, so true. Um, kind of combining two things, I was uh, talking to some people one time about the concept of self-love and I get this question, like, I don't even know what you're talking about, like you're saying, um, but I'm trying to describe like a a feeling like a sensation that you have the feeling of love directed inward towards yourself and so the uh the practice I invite people through is um can you imagine what it feels like to really be frustrated with yourself to really be angry at yourself to really be harsh and critical at yourself that's super easy it's super easy to find that space in myself because I have so much practice at it I have so right. much practice finding self-frustration. I have so yeah. much practice finding self-critique. I don't yeah. have a ton of practice or didn't at finding self-respect. Right. Doing things right. that I find respectful about myself. Doing things that I love for myself. It's to invite that sense of self-love in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That care. That yeah. care for just just like you were caring for that just newborn, exactly. right? Like just the tenderness that you show with it and um, you know, I think a lot of times it gets blown off to like, oh, a bubble bath and, mm-hmm. you know, and if that makes you feel renewed and cared for, then absolutely a bubble bath. But that's not everyone's that's level of self-care, yeah. right? Yeah, that's not you your know, whole life. That's not everything that you do. No, yeah. <laughs> no. So, you know, I think it's being able to really, in that moment, whether it's a behavior um, or it's in a choice of, of, of a food to be able to say, you know what, I myself, I'm okay no matter which decision I make. This is not life or death. Mm, yeah. You know, and whatever decision I choose, whether I'm going to eat the chocolate or eat the apple in this moment will be exactly what I need. Yeah. And then I'm going to go on. Yeah. And it's going to be fine. And next time I'll have another choice maybe next time I'll choose the apple because that's what feels nourishing to me. But, you know, this time it was the chocolate. And if that's the choice, whichever choice, I'm always like, enjoy every bite. Like, don't just scarf it down. Like, truly enjoy it. Yeah. You know, savor it, you know, because otherwise it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of when we were, you were talking about that kind accountability, uh, yeah. with having like you have a, if you're taking care of a child, like an infant, a newborn. Right. Kids love bubble baths. I don't know. I remember having bubble baths as a kid, but that's not the only thing my parents did to care for me. They also taught me how to be a good person and like how to care for myself. Like there's all these other things that go into loving myself that I you know learn how to do now. It's not just about like oh, I'm going to do this as a treat. I'm going to really indulge in this. It's about like, like falling in love with your life, like romanticizing everything that you get to experience in, in your life. And, uh, there are things that are unpleasant, but not everything is unpleasant. Um, I think about like, I talk a lot about how like work and school routines are really dysregulating to our nervous systems. And we like learn how to keep going when we're tired rather than how to rest whenever we're tired. Uh, But at the same time, I have a lot of really amazing memories from that. I loved the work. I love the work that I do. Um, Not all of it is terrible, but some of it is dysregulating. And there's that like kind accountability to say, Uh, hey, you've been doing a lot. Maybe we should do something different. Hey, we've 
hey, maybe we offer this now. Maybe I offer this to myself now. Right, right, yeah. And really, like you said, just learning how to care for ourselves because it wasn't all bubble baths, right? There's also care in wearing clean clothes, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, in, you know, fixing your hair. I have women all the time who tell me, you know what, I, I love the ease of not wearing makeup, but when I put on makeup, I feel different. Yeah. You know, when I fix my hair, I feel different. And those are simple things mm-hmm. um, that we can choose to do or not do. And it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know, in the scheme of things. But if one way or the other makes you feel your best, that's what you should do. No matter what anybody else says. Yeah. We think about like requirements and uh, I remember like whenever I first started working from home, like in the pandemic, first thing, first round of the box, my agency sent us home. We're all working from home. And if nobody sees me, maybe I don't have to get dressed. This that requirement. I don't have to eat an apple just because an apple is available. I don't have to get dressed in formal fancy clothes because I'm not going to the office. But at a certain point, I don't know, I started feeling kind of slouchy. And I kind of had to like make a a rule for myself that if I'm going to be doing work things, I need to be like kind of at least intentional about it. Uh, You don't have to wear makeup, but if makeup helps you access the internal resources that you enjoy having to get you through the day, go for it. Live your bliss. Uh, Or if it makes, or if it makes you feel like, um, you know, a lot of times um, we'll just use makeup for an example. Like, makeup will being I don't like to wear makeup myself like I don't wear that much you know I don't have a problem with it and but like you said it comes a certain point where you're like you know what I just feel a little bit more together Mm -hmm. in myself when I wear makeup and you know fix my hair instead of pulling it up or you know doing something different so yeah I always, I don't wear a ton of makeup either, but if I have lipstick on, I'm more careful about the words I say because I'm more like aware of my mouth or something. Um, so, uh, I really like, I really like, uh, using my surroundings, my support system, you know, whether it's my clothes or my affect or my, uh, people around me to kind of support what it is that I'm choosing to do with my life. And you got to have a community that's willing to say, Oh, this is you. Okay. Whatever you've got, we're here for for, um, right. kind of like what you were talking about. If you're going to make some sort of change to your relationship with food, you got to have other people in, in your life who are also willing to look at their relationship with food as well. Uh, or at I'm... least willing to say, okay, you do you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like where I'm not asking for you to have a huge like, change, but you know, <laughs> a lot of times, um, the women I were, you know, they're the ones that cook. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> it's going to change. Because I'm gonna eat some. I'm gonna feed myself in a more nourishing way. What mm-hmm. I feel is nourishing. So you guys get to nourish yourselves too through my nourishing kind oh, of thing. Yeah, that's so important. Um, I don't love to cook, but my husband does. And right. a very similar thing happened whenever we kind of combined our homes. Was that I was not I was not very particular about my food at all. I would just like whatever's there. I'm hungry. I ate it, and there we go. But he's very meticulous and careful mm-hmm. about it. And I feel like I learned a lot about caring for myself by being cared for by somebody who knew how to do it that way. I feel like that's a a support that like professionals offer a lot of times. Um, Uh Kind of sounds like what you were doing in your, in your practice. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. (laughs) You know, a lot of times we just, 
we need someone to say, you know what, it's okay if you try it this way. Um, and just try it. Like experiment is one of my favorite words. I'm like, just experiment with it. See what works. See what doesn't. It doesn't matter. We can always change it. Yeah. But let's just try it this way. Um, you know, because again, you a lot of times you learn. Like mm-hmm. you said, I learned how to care better for myself by, by seeing someone model it. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, the way we are is because it's been modeled for us. Yeah. Um, and the way we feel about ourselves is because it's been modeled for us, you know, um, especially for females. If the mom, if your mom um, was always constantly nitpicking about her body, I need to diet, I need to go, you know, then you become very, very self-conscious. Mm-hmm. And then that, you know, is the model you have in your head. So you're more likely to repeat that. So we just kind of have to say, let's model something else. Yeah. Let's just try it. One, a, uh, a common one that I hear a lot about is, uh, like if, uh, whenever I was starting this journey or whatever, I started eating a lot of salads and that's always uh-huh. a, like a big red flag for anybody in the nutrition world. Whenever somebody is going on a health journey, they start eating a lot of salad. You go, okay, now wait a minute. <laughs> Why are you doing that? What has changed? What are you doing here? But for me in that moment, it was about, uh, it was like a big middle finger, I guess, to anybody who ever said, uh, oh, you're getting a diet Coke with your Big Mac. Oh, yeah. you're, you're at the salad bar. And you're right. like, uh, kind of being critical about making a healthy choice because I don't only yeah. make healthy choices or because I don't always make, I don't know. There's like this, this criticism that comes from somewhere. I don't know. Right. And I, and, and so my question would be, does that come from someone else or does it really come from you? Yeah. I think I internalize yeah. it. I think that, right. uh, because, and it could be sometimes that we heard it one time, yeah. but it was so hurtful to little us that. <sighs> We hear it every time, you know, I, myself, the biggest revelation I ever had was when I learned I hate salad, mm. <laughs> Like I'm never going to eat salad for a meal yeah. ever. I don't care how many women are dining and all having salads. I'm going to have meat. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm just, because I learned from my metabolic type, like I would be starving in two hours because my body processes it very quickly. So then I'm starving. So I'm like, so I'm going to eat meat. Mm-hmm. So that was so freeing to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, never have to eat a salad again. <laughs> like, learning what really works for my body and then adjusting it to, you know, exactly where I want it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so freeing. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, someone else just had to give me permission to not eat a salad and you're still okay. I love that so much because it's, it's the identical experience to what I was describing, but with different things and it's healthy for both people. It's healthy for everybody. It's, right. it's all fine. Cause you're making yeah. it and I'm kidding. Like we're, we're totally fine. Um, yeah. my, my husband's a big meat and potatoes person. And so he would like serve like a whole, like meat was the meal. And I was like, is there anything else? And I would like I didn't feel satisfied whenever it was just meat right. on the on the menu for the day, um, but right. he did. But like the where I access satisfaction does not have a, a morality to it. It's no. a feeling that I feel inside of my body. Therefore, uh-huh. it can't be wrong. Uh, it is it is real because I feel it, and it's okay because I feel it. Um, the yes. the part where we run into like 
what's okay to eat and what's not okay to do comes in where it impacts another person. So if I said, I'm going to be a vegan and you're not allowed to bring meat into my household anymore, well, that wouldn't be very healthy. It wouldn't be healthy for my body. It wouldn't be healthy for my relationships. And I'm making all these rules that don't matter for anything. Right. Yeah. It's like, what hill will you die on? Yeah. Right. Like what, what, what are you willing to do? And when we live in families, which most people do, and even if it's, you know, a family of two roommates, right, you're still sharing a common household. So you make adjustments, you know, for each person, it's the compromise, right? But, you know, I just feel like sometimes we just need somebody to say, you know what, it would be okay if you did this differently or you tried this or you, you know, just enjoyed it. A lot of times we don't have joy in things, you know, we don't have, um, because we're taught, oh, that's bad. So we feel shame about doing something that's not bad. It's just the way we like to do it. And every person's different. Mm -hmm. So everybody's going to have a different way they like to do things. And that's okay. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I feel like that's a really good, like, wrap up for our whole, like, conversation that we've had. That it's about, like, the pursuit of joy and, like, just being being the one who's here. uh, Being your your whole self and uh, caring for all of the tender pieces. And, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, yeah. so what do you have going on? You ha- were telling me about some, some stuff you've got to work that you're working on. I do. I, I always love working one-on-one with clients. So I, I have some spots available for those um, new clients and I'm starting a group program. I'm really excited about, um, it's going to be starting in the fall, um, probably end of October, first of November that, that week and a good fresh start from Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> and it's um, it's 10 weeks, and um, it is, I call it a metabolic reset. So, um, you know, during the pandemic, we heard a lot of times about how we needed to be more metabolically flexible. Mm. Like that is part of how um, well we are, how our body hums along. So my goal is to teach as many people as possible how to be more metabolically flexible. Mm. Um, so how to burn all kinds of foods, um, how to um, basically live in our bodies with the least amount of stress on all the systems. That's awesome. So, how could yeah. somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to uh, be a part of that? Sure. Um, let's see. I, you can um, email me at hello at totalwellnessblueprint.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram. Um, it's Melinda McLaughlin underscore. Um, on Instagram or I'm also on Facebook so you can message me any of those places. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, and just to wrap up, I'm Asha and I have a monthly uh, somatic wellness workshop that I do. It's free for the community. It's online and uh, those are on the third Friday of the month at four o'clock. Uh, thank you so much for meeting with me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah.